0: Amen. We will be singing that a hundred years from now. That's that's the test of a great piece of music uh, throughout the ages, uh, which is one of the reasons we like to sing music across the ages, actually. It gives us a connection to our brothers and sisters that have gone before us. Uh, So that's why we do sing music across the ages. So let's see. I got it in purple print up here, mention prayer meeting. (laughs) Uh, We gather once a month as a church to seek the Lord together on uh, the first Sunday evening of the month, and uh, we will be doing that this evening. If you've not joined us for our corporate prayer time, I'd really encourage you to do that. A lot of times you can walk into that prayer meeting and you're all focused on yourself, and when you walk out after hearing the burdens uh, of your brothers and sisters, it helps you get out of yourself a little bit, as well as their praises. You don't have to pray out loud. If you've never prayed with us before, just come and join us. You'll be comfortable uh, this evening. So, turn with me to First Peter this morning, chapter 3, and... We are in this section on a woman's adornment or dress. And last Sunday we considered verses 3 and 4 of chapter 3, and today we're going to kind of meditate on verses 5 and 6. 3 and 4 read as follows. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty, a beauty that doesn't fade, an unfading beauty. Let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart with an unfading beauty of a gentle and peaceable spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, we also added 1 Timothy 2.9 uh, last Sunday, which got me into trouble because, because Paul's a guy who had to mention those pearls. <laughs> Boy, you know, I realize there are more wealthy people in this church than I realized. <laughs> so the, the pearls came from, from Paul, and we combined those two verses uh, last uh, Last Sunday. And uh, Peter continues in verses 5 and 6 uh, For in this manner, for in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid. With any fear. So we're going to think about those two verses this morning. There's quite a number of thoughts in there for us to work through. He tells us in the former times, the holy women, plural, the holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves in this inward manner. That's the emphasis of the passage, right? Don't adorn yourself outwardly, but adorn yourself inwardly. And the holy women, that's plural. So that naturally makes us think about some of the godly women on the pages of Scripture. And that leads us to think about Sarah, which Peter is going to single out here. But we can think about Hannah, can't we? Samuel's mother. Who was barren as Sarah was barren, actually. So Hannah was barren for many years. And we have her wonderful prayer recorded there in 1 Samuel as one of these holy women who adorned themselves on the inside. We think of Deborah, the prophetess. And we read about that in Judges. Uh, she was quite fearless, actually. And uh, we think of her. We think of Naomi who suffered through very hard times and ultimately she was greatly blessed. We think of Ruth, Naomi's Gentile daughter-in-law who actually converted to worship Yahweh as a proselyte, as a female proselyte. And Ruth leaves her pagan gods and begins to worship Naomi's God Yahweh And she is the great-grandmother of King David, isn't she? So we think of Ruth. Then we think of Esther, who was used to foil a genocidal plot against the Jews, wasn't she? You can read about that godly woman. And then, of course, there's Abigail, who saved King David from shedding innocent blood, didn't she? She was a wise woman. (laughs) You read that account. Even though she was married to a fool. And we're talking about those situations, aren't we? We're talking about believing women married to unbelieving husbands. That's exactly what Abigail was, wasn't she? And yet she intervened and saved David from shedding much innocent blood. So, the holy women who trusted in God. Notice that. See, that's the basic characteristic. What's the basic characteristic of these women? It's in that next phrase. What did they do? They trusted in God. That's the basic characteristic. In all of the being under authority behavior that Peter's been talking about in 1 Peter chapter 2, under the the king or the magistrate, the governing authorities, slaves and servants under the authority of their masters, wives under the authority of their husbands, out of all those spheres of authority and submission, likely the most basic thing to behaving godly in all those situations is trusting God. Trusting God. That means you believe what He says. And you believe what He says about authority. Okay? Trusting God begins with knowing what He says, believing what He says, acting upon what He says. That's how it works. That's how faith works. You hear what God says, and you say, you know what? That's true. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that God's authority is expressed to me through my husband. I believe that. I believe that God's authority is expressed to me through the civil government. I believe that. See? All those fears. I believe God's authority is expressed to me through my master or my my job authority. I believe that. That's where trusting in God begins. Believing what He said. You believe what He said. Then, yeah, you trust Him. You know what He said. You believe what He said. And then you act upon what He said that's when we finally get to faith. You act upon what He said. That's the evidence that you trust and believe Him. If you don't act upon it, you're not giving any evidence that you trust and believe it. When you begin to act upon what you know, what He said, then you're trusting in God. And we have to learn to do that as Christians. And so that's the dominant characteristic of these women who adorned themselves. It's described right there. Who trusted in God. I'm just expounding for you a little bit what that means. What it looks like to really trust in God. And you can't go wrong trusting in Him. You might think that, but as life goes on, He will prove Himself to you. Over and over again, He will prove Himself faithful, brothers and sisters, to you. He will Trust in Him. I mean, He gave His Son. What else can He do to convince you to trust in Him? Right? He gave His Son to redeem you and me. That's that's how you got to think through it. How can I not trust in a God that gave His Son to redeem me? How can I not trust in someone like that? See, that's the gospel way to get there. Okay. Amen. So they trusted. They trusted in him. Peter singles out Sarah and Hebrews eleven. Hebrews eleven eleven makes this significant statement regarding Sarah. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. That's her faith, singled out there in Hebrews 11:11. 11, 11, Sarah's faith is given as the human cause or means, of Isaac's conception. That's what the text says. The human cause and means of Isaac's conception is Sarah's faith. Now the record seems to show, regarding both Abraham and Sarah, that prior to Isaac's birth, there was more more unbelief than faith, it seems like, prior to Isaac's, Isaac's birth. When we read, when we read the record, Genesis 17, Abraham's 99 years old, God renews the promise to Abraham, and God changes Sarai's name to Sarah, he changes her name, she's still not pregnant, and he changes her name to Sarah, which means a mother of many nations. And um, Abraham laughs in his heart. Now, how many of you think that... How do I got to ask this? I got to ask this so, so you can answer it without being embarrassed. I don't know how to do it. How many of you think that only Sarah laughed? How many often... Okay, one honest man out here. <laughs> all, okay, so all of you knew... All of you knew that both of them laughed, didn't you? (laughs) Or is only one willing to fess up to that. I suspect if you say, make a survey, you'll find that most people that have been reading their Bibles, they only think that it's Sarah who laughed. That's not true at all. Abraham is the one who laughed first. And God renewed the promise to Abraham, and it says he laughed in his heart, and he, and then he told God, "Oh may Ishmael live before you." And God says, "No. You will have a son by Sarah." So Abraham laughed. Okay. The Lord showed up a little bit later. This is all happening now in the last year before the conception of Isaac. The Lord showed up a little bit later. Genesis 18. Sometime during that final year before Isaac's birth, at the time of Sodom's destruction, the Lord appears again and tells Abraham that Sarah will conceive a son. Sarah is in the doorway to the tent listening to the conversation, and this time she laughs in her heart. So they both both laughed, and they're, they're still not believing as they ought to. Well, according to Hebrews 11, sometime during that last year, something happened. And Sarah believed. That's what Hebrews 11 says. We just... She got there and so did did Abraham. So, in verse 5, Peter tells us how these women made themselves beautiful. This is a verse that people aren't familiar enough with. But this verse says how these women made themselves beautiful. These women who trusted in God also adorned themselves by being submissive to their own husbands. That's an amazing statement. Now how this is radical this is a radical statement surely despised by many in our culture the women who trusted in God made themselves beautiful by being submissive to their own husbands I want to be beautiful today what shall I do wow Have I been pretty today? Have I been beautiful today? Wow. That's what the text says. These women who trusted in God also ordained themselves. (laughs) Adorned themselves. It's that sovereign song. You see that sovereignty stuck in my head. They adorn themselves by being submissive to their own husbands. That is just so radical. Despised, no doubt, by our culture. Wayne Grudem Grudem has a, a paragraph... In one of his books, this is copied out of it. I don't know which book this came out of, uh, but I know it's from Wayne Grudem. And he entitled this, oh, the, the, uh, the chapter is titled, Wives Like Sarah and Husbands Who Honor Them. We're going to get there, ladies, okay? Be patient. We're gonna Now, I'm sorry, you know, we got like four or five verses on the wives and only one on the husbands. I can't change that. <laughs> But I love this title uh, that, that Grudem has on that chapter, Wives Like Sarah and Husbands Who Honor Them. And one of the paragraphs in there is labeled The Beauty of Submission. And it's coming straight out of this text, of course. In an age when submission to authority is frequently denigrated and thought to be degrading and dehumanizing, Peter's words remind us that submission to rightful authority is beautiful and right in God's world. It is for the Lord's sake, 2.13, that Christians who are to be subject to God-ordained authorities, whether in civil government, in employment, in the family, or in the church, specifically within marriage, The beauty of a wife's submission to her husband is evident to unbelievers who are attracted to Christ through it. Verses 1 and 2. Peter also expects this beauty to be evident to believing husbands and to other people generally. For this is the beauty that he tells Christian women to make their adorning, their source of beauty. Verse 4, this is the beauty that adorned women of the Old Testament who put their hope in God and were submissive to their own husbands. Verse 5, this beauty also ought to be seen and felt by the Christian wife herself. For it is not accompanied by fear, but by reverence, purity, moral uprightness, Verse 2, verse 6, quietness or peaceableness of spirit, verse 4, and hope in God, verse 5. Finally, the beauty of this submission is evident to God. For the gentle and peaceable spirit that accompanies this submission in God's sight is, quote, of great worth, verse 4. Amen. That's how women make themselves beautiful. In verse 6, Sarah is set forth as an example of the holy women who trusted in God. Knowing what we know from the Genesis account of Sarah's life, there were plenty of occasions when Sarah was called to trust in God. And her husband. Following Abraham was no comfortable suburban lifestyle. No. Sarah was 65 years old when the Lord not too subtly said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. To a land, I'll show you later. Right? (laughs) That's how it came. Sarah was there. (laughs) Sarah was barren and had been for all her childbearing years. She was 65 at that time. They lived at least through one famine. The whole incident of going down into Egypt to survive... Sarah ending up in Pharaoh's harem was a trial and obviously dangerous for both of them. At least Abraham thought so, for he feared for his life. And, of course, God protected Sarah uh, during that whole thing. So Abraham and Sarah got kicked out of Egypt by Pharaoh with a whole lot of possessions and good things, including Hagar... (laughs) <laughs> when, when they got kicked out of Egypt. And that, of course, was going to require some trust on uh, Sarah's part in that whole situation. So when Abraham spoke with Abimelech in Gerar, round two, he told Abimelech that, that he thought, Surely the fear of God is not in this place. And thus he and Sarah continued the same practice, claiming that she was his sister. And again, God protected Sarah, and Abimelech comes out looking more righteous than Abraham in that whole ordeal. Well, and then God gave that strange command to sacrifice her son. That's after Isaac's born. We don't know whether she knew that or not. We don't really know. So, yeah, she had much occasion to trust in God. Now, Sarah's submissive attitude is expressed in respect and reverence that she had toward Abraham. Peter points out this by telling us that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. That's in verse 6. We're going to think about that phrase right now. By calling him Lord. Calling him Lord. Verse 6 As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any fear. Uh, This is not the easiest text to understand. It's difficult to tell if Peter has one specific incident in mind or is Peter describing Sarah's practice and attitude. In verse 6. The only explicit reference we have in the book of Genesis of Sarah calling Abraham Lord is when the Lord appeared to Abraham and told him that Sarah was going to have a son. And uh, and she laughs. laughs. Okay. That's the context. Sarah overhears that conversation. Quote, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying... After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also. So that's the only reference we have. And so Peter might be pointing back to that reference, which of course is an example of Sarah's unbelief at that time. But yet she refers to Abraham, and I think this is the point here, is She refers to Abraham as my Lord, you see. And it reflects her attitude toward her husband, that expression. And I think that's Peter's point, that Sarah's attitude toward Abraham is that of honor and respect, and she thinks of him as her Lord. I think that's what he's doing. So, it doesn't seem to be referring to one specific incident. The actions described in verses 5 and 6 are not single incidents. See, holy women who trusted in God, what? That's a pattern. Who adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Again, that's a pattern. He's talking about a pattern of behavior. So if Peter has Genesis 18:12 in mind then the thought is not that Genesis 18:12 is a concrete example of Sarah's submissive spirit but that it reflects how she normally thought of Abraham he's my lord that's what it reflects it's an attitude and he's my lord shall i have pleasure My Lord, being so old also. That's how she thought of him. The term Lord in the Old Testament is Adonai. When used in relation to another person, it's a respectful and a polite term of address to someone in leadership who is in authority over you. It's a respectful address. And now here I will repeat what I said some weeks ago that being submissive is not simply a series of acts of obedience strung together. No, being submissive it's an attitude and state of mind that is the meek and peaceable spirit, the trusting in God The calling her husband, Lord. You see, this is an attitude. That's the foundation of our submission to authority. And of a wife's submission to the authority of her husband. It's not a bunch of little acts strung together. That happens. But there's this underlying attitude of submitting to God-instituted authority in a in a wholehearted way and that is expressed by actually calling her husband lord okay cultivate the attitude <laughs> and it will transform your behavior and of course god is looking at what that's right Ladies, God is looking at the attitude and the heart. Absolutely. Okay, you may be obeying with your teeth gritted. <laughs> God sees beyond that. And that's true of any submission to any authority. We're focused here in the family. But but the text already said that. That, that gentle or that meek and peaceable spirit which is of great value, what? In the sight of God. Okay? So, Sarah then becomes an example of that. That's about the best best I can do there. Okay. Sarah's also set forth in this passage as an encouragement to all believing women after her. Peter goes on in verse 6, what? Whose daughters you are... Whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. Well, the first two parts of that verse are not too difficult. Peter's using that common idiom, right? Like mother, like daughter, okay? (laughs) Like daughter, like mother, okay? That's the idiom. Whose daughters you are, if you do good. Well, doing good is important if you do good and are not afraid with any terror or fear. What does that mean? Well, before we consider the meaning of those words, it should be pointed out that Sarah is set forth as a woman who did good and was not frightened. If you do good. Where did we just read of a woman doing good. When we just hear that. Proverbs 31. She does her husband good. All the days of her life. If you do good. And Proverbs 31. She did good to the needy. And, and all of those things. That chapter is filled with things. Where The excellent wife does good, okay? So, if you do good, and uh, praise God for all the women who have done so much good in the church and in the body of Christ. What's unique about the Gospel of Luke? One we're talking about here. One of the unique marks of Luke, Luke points out all the women that supported Jesus and did good. It's entirely unique to the Gospel of Luke. And we know their names. We know what they did. We know at times when they traveled with the disciples. And Luke is the place to go if you want to see women doing good. It's just right there in the, in the gospel of Luke. So, Sarah's described as one such woman. And that she was characteristically not fearful. Now, Regarding this doing good and not being frightened by any fear, a popular way of understanding this, of not being frightened by any fear, in a popular way, is based on a Genesis record that Sarah was not afraid to follow Abraham and obey him, even to the point of ending up in these harems, right? And that's one of the common common ways this not being afraid is you she wasn't afraid and she just obeyed and went into this very dangerous situation and uh, God had to step in and save her <laughs> husbands you're supposed to be protectors <laughs> well praise God that he has protected our wives at times isn't that true okay <laughs> um, sorry sorry Uh, Just kind of went off there about husbands uh, needing to be protectors. I can think times when I failed in in that regard, okay? And uh, my opportunities are over now to get that right. But yours aren't, okay? (laughs) Mine are, but yours aren't. So, so that's one of the, one of the interpretations. But there might be a better interpretation as to what Peter's getting at more than likely what's going on here the situation in view is wives married to unbelieving husbands and not compromising their confessing the faith under possible intimidation from unbelieving husbands and families and relatives we're going to see we're going to read this in just a few verses ahead In verses 13 through 16, we're going to read this. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. I think that's the context. He still has these women who are unequally yoked in mind, which was probably much more common than it is even today at this point. And we know that that verse 1 begins that way, right? Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. So... That's a second possible understanding of not being frightened by any fear in spite of the intimidation or the rejection of an unbelieving husband and families not to not confess your faith, okay? Even if you suffer for righteousness' sake. And we'll be getting into those passages as we go forward. Now, not being frightened by any fear is the fruit of the most basic description of the godly character here, isn't it? They trusted in God. See that? That to me connects. Not to be frightened and intimidated by the hostilities of unbelievers. Where does that peace come from by trusting in God the only way to overcome those fears is trust in God and knowing that he's called you to that there's a number of you that are in unnatally yoked relationships in this congregation and the the only way to deal with that is, is to trust in God in other words you're there by his providence you're there following him you're there following Christ, is what I mean. You're there and because of that. You can trust in Him. He's called you to confess the faith, hasn't He? And there's times when you confess it by your actions, by your words. And uh, you'll have to trust <laughs> to, to get through those. And uh, so, I think that's really, really what's going on in this chapter. So... Just going to wrap up with a few concluding thoughts here this morning. Ladies, you are under much ridicule from our culture for pursuing the Scripture's description of being a godly woman. Okay? You know, you're going to be made fun of. You are. You're going to be made fun of for becoming the beautiful woman that this text describes. You're under a lot of pressure. We're following Christ. The pressure and influence upon you is something contrary to the Word of God. It's very, very great. It's just great. And I want to emphasize how radically different the attitude and behavior described in verse 6 is. in these six verses from, from that of the world that surrounds us. You know, this is just radically different. It wasn't this radical 40, 50, eh, 60 years ago. It, It wasn't, but it is now. It's just radically different. Brothers, you need to be sure of a few things. That you don't unknowingly become one of those worldly influences on your wives. They're under a lot of pressure about this kind of stuff. And you better be sure that you don't become an affirming voice of the wrong messages. Got it? <laughs> you think about that as husbands in this culture and what your wives are facing by this culture. Okay? Rather, that you encourage and reinforce your wives regarding what is really valuable in your sight, which should reflect what is really valuable in God's sight. You say, Honey, you have been so beautiful today. Right? Do it! Okay. do it let's pray Lord um, wow your mind is awesome (laughs) your thoughts are not our thoughts but oh how grateful we are Father that you share your thoughts with us on how to be men and women and boys and girls and citizens and servants and all of these things. And Christians, thank you for sharing your intention, your good creation, and your good second creation. Thank you, Lord, for causing us to be born again a second time. And filling our hearts and minds with your law, written your, writing your law upon our hearts. Lord, help us. Uh, Help us uh, think more quickly about what you have to say about our behavior. And, oh, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. Forgive us for the insult of our unbelief. So, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on your word and renew our faith. Lord, we pray for wives. We pray that you protect their hearts and minds from the devil and the evil one. Lord, and that you protect their hearts and minds from the, the grossness of what our world has turned women into, Lord, How they have marred the wonderful image of both men and women. How you have created us such glorious beings made after your image. Oh Lord, help us make Jesus Christ known. We thank you for the salvation that comes through him. Thank you for interesting yourself in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.